you know, the heart of the book is that we are all experts because we've went through our own journeys, our own paths. Um, we figured out how to survive and thrive. The, the thing that I love about it most is, and I think the most valuable part is, I think this is going to become also a reference book. You're not alone. We're here. There's we we got a doctor over here. He, he's telling you you're not alone. And I so that's what I love about this book. My favorite part of the book is 423 pages of NAMI wisdom and people with lived experience and national research experts. Welcome to Hope Starts With Us, a podcast by NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I'm your host, Daniel H. Gillison, Jr., NAMI CEO. We want to thank you for joining us during Mental Illness Awareness Week, October 2nd through 8th, a time to educate and advocate on behalf of the 51 million U.S. adults who face the reality of managing a mental illness every day. We started this podcast because we believe that hope starts with us. Hope starts with us talking about mental health. Hope starts with us making information accessible. Hope starts with us providing resources and practical advice. Hope starts with us sharing our stories. Hope starts with us breaking the stigma. If you or a loved one is struggling with a mental health condition and have been looking for hope, we made this podcast for you. Hope starts with all of us. Hope is a collective. We hope that with each episode, each conversation brings you into that collective to know you are not alone. I'm joined by Dr. Ken Duckworth, NAMI's chief medical officer and the author of NAMI's first ever book, You Are Not Alone, The NAMI Guide to Navigating Mental Health, and three people whose stories are actually featured in the book, including model, actor, producer, and NAMI ambassador, Corinne Fox, actor, comedian, and NAMI ambassador, Brad Gage, and longtime NAMI member and former board president for local Michigan and California NAMI affiliates, George Kaufman. Dr. Ken, can we start with you? Why should people read this book? Well, first of all, this is NAMI's first book, and it represents our community. The voices of the people in this book are the essence of the book, people sharing their story using their names. Uh, I needed this book. My dad had very bad bipolar disorder. We never figured out how to talk about it. There was never a book that I could find, even after I became a psychiatrist to help my own dad, that had practical advice from real people, coupled with the smartest researchers in America answering really common questions. The engagement of the entire NAMI community and all the royalties going to NAMI may be the secret sauce of how we created a national bestseller together. Ken, you mentioned national bestseller. Congratulations on being on the USA Today bestseller book list. This is fantastic. And and we know that you've put your body, your spirit and your knowledge into this. So as we talk about uh, moving forward, I'd like to ask you, what makes this book different from other books and what makes it so important? Oh, thanks, Dan. The average book written by a psychiatrist has the following features. I know everything. All the people in this book are confidential and, in fact, made up to protect their privacy. Here's the joy of this book. I have the NAMI platform, and I've met hundreds of amazing people who've learned things about how to communicate better, how to problem solve, how to seek help when the culture doesn't encourage it. And all I wanted to do was flip the narrative so that the people in our community could be the experts in addition to the traditional research experts. This is a dream I've had for 20 years, 
and I've been working on the book for 20 years. I'd hear somebody on the radio and I'd write on an index card, interview Diana Chow for a book. And then I'd stick it in my glove box. I never knew if the book was going to happen. I never wrote a book before, but it's all of our books. I want to emphasize this. This was a one of a kind book. There is no book like it. If you have gray hair, you might recall Studs Terkel. He did a lot of first person narratives. If you're a young person, you probably know Humans of New York. Humans of New York and Studs Terkel represent the intergenerational model for what I wanted to do. Real people have learned things. There's over 2,000 years of lived experience, expertise in this book. And I'm delighted to say we can share it with the world now. If I go to a bookstore, why would I pick this book up off the shelf, Ken? If you need practical help. So let's take my little family situation. My dad was a loving, generous, kind, fun person, very ill, periodically psychotic, periodically hospitalized. If I knew a book was out there featuring families that figured how to communicate, like George, or people who overcame the uh, social culture towards men for seeking help like Brad, or had a self-care routine that they could pull up for themselves like Corinne, I probably wouldn't even become a psychiatrist, Dan. I would probably be teaching history somewhere. I became a psychiatrist because I had to have the answers to these questions. And I couldn't believe, even after becoming a psychiatrist, this book didn't exist. Thousands of memoirs. Okay, interesting, but not helpful. Thousands of textbooks. No one reads textbooks. I know because I write chapters in them, Dan, and nobody ever says, Ken, that chapter on engaging the community, that was a real bodice ripper. I loved it. Nobody's ever said that to me because people don't read textbooks. I tried to synthesize the real experience with traditional experts for a practical guide how do you learn to communicate? My family never figured that out, but George Kaufman did. That's beautiful. I, I was so moved by that conversation, by Brad transcending some of the cultural things that men are up against. Look at the suicide rates of men. And what Corinne taught me about her culture and her own experience and her family and her toolkit this is exactly what I longed for, Dan. And I believe the reason that we became a bestseller is that people want practical advice from real people. I think we're ready for it. One of the publishers said to me, you can't get real people to use their names. And I said, you were right 10 years ago, but you don't hang around at NAMI like I do. And we want to tell our stories to help other people to make meaning of our experience by giving it away, you make it bigger. And so I knew this book could happen. I was certain of it my whole life. Really, I've been working on this book in a way since I was eight years old. But when I met you, Dan, and I said to you, Dan, I'd like to write this book, you said one thing to me. You said, go. That's all I needed was the full support of the CEO and, of course, Shirley Holloway, the board president. And that's why we went to Alaska to see Shirley, to thank her. Thank her. I, I, I flew to Alaska on the book tour. I signed 63 books in a little Barnes and Noble in Anchorage, right? Why? Yeah. Because Shirley was behind this vision. Yes. I couldn't believe that NAMI, the most powerful organization in American mental health, didn't have a book. And I'm so grateful we do now. So I want to thank everybody who participated in the book, bought the book, shared the book, taken the book to their local library. It's NAMI's book. We should be a household name. 
And we're moving towards that. And thank you. And for your 40 years of, of uh, experience as a psychiatrist and giving your life's work to this and now bringing this to us, uh, that's your nobility. And we appreciate it. And, and practical experience from real people. That says it all. You spoke with so many people and featured so many experiences and stories in this book. And, and as I mentioned, we're fortunate to have three people here who are actually featured in the book. All of them are people with lived experience who are a part of of the NAMI family. We have two NAMI ambassadors and a former president of NAMI affiliates. I'd love to hear from each of you about what inspired you to share your story in the book. Corinne, can we start with you? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder um, when I was 14 years old. And at the time, there was really no conversation for mental health that I was aware of. Um, certainly not amongst my peers in high school. Um, and they were also the last people I wanted to know that I was suffering from anxiety. And so I went on this journey for a long time by myself, just figuring out what works for me, how to get a therapist, um, you know, workbooks and all types of, I tried lots of different treatment options, um, really alone because I, you know, I felt that stigma. I felt that stigma among my peers. Um, and so in 2017, when NAMI reached out to me to help them with one of their campaigns, I said, yes, I'd love to help with one of the campaigns, but I'd also love to share my story because I've been living with anxiety and um, I'd love to support you guys in, in a bigger way. And so that's where my relationship with NAMI started. Um, and I've done so many incredible things with you guys, including like lobbying Congress. And um, it's been one of the biggest joys of my life. And so I met Dr. Ken through NAMI. And uh, we did like an Instagram live together at one point, And then they reached out about the book. And I said, absolutely, of course, I'll, I'll share whatever I can. And I remember when I first met Dr. Ken, I I had said something along the lines of, oh, you know, I'm not the expert. You're the expert. You know, you have the degree. And he made sure to stop me right there and say, no, you are an expert because you have a lived experience and that's worth something. And then, you know, that trickles down into what the book is. You know, the heart of the book is that we are all experts because we've went through our own journeys, our own paths. Um, We figured out how to survive and thrive um, given our circumstances. And, and Dr. Ken was really empowering and made it, made me feel very comfortable to share my experience. So I feel honored to be one of the many stories in the book. Corinne, thank you so much. And we really appreciate you lending your voice and, and your lived experience in this book. It, it's 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 already making a difference in the book. You actually talk about something that I think is, is such a, a good idea. You say that you keep a personalized mental health toolkit for yourself in the notes section of your phone titled Corinne's Guide to Wellness. Can you tell us a little bit about Corinne's Guide to Wellness? Yes, Corinne's Guide to Wellness is constantly growing. Um, Whenever I come upon a new practice, a new treatment that works for me, I add it to my phone. And to go back to the years that I didn't talk about my anxiety disorder, where I felt really alone, but I was pursuing treatment, there was a lot of trial and error. I tried hypnotherapy, I tried acupuncture, and those things didn't work. But I realized that CBT really helped me. And, um, you know, so I, as I started collecting these things that worked for my anxiety, I would write them in my phone. 
Because I realize when you're having a panic attack, when you're feeling very anxious, very depressed, you can lose all of your tools. You know, your, your brain is going a million miles an hour. And so I realized if I had something in my phone that was always with me that I could pull up and it was like, okay, Corinne, well, have you uh, meditated recently? Oh, I haven't done that. Maybe I should try that. Oh, have you worked out recently? Oh, I haven't tried that. Let me try that. Have you went to therapy recently. No, I haven't tried that. Let me try that. And I know those are tried and true treatments that work for me. And, and my list is going to look different than somebody else's list, you know, but I think for me, having that security of knowing that no matter what situation I'm in, I can always go back to that list and, and look at it and check on it and see, okay, what can I try right now that I'm not doing that I know works? What you just shared is your a part of your toolkit, and it's going to again be such a good contribution to some some of our other folks that are out there that are looking for what do I need and how do I access it and where do I put it. So using that appendage that's at the end of our our hand many times that phone uh, is is such a, a great great recommendation. And thank you for sharing that and really appreciate it. And there's also such great strength in sharing when you've been vulnerable and how you've managed that vulnerability. So uh, you are powerful beyond words. So thank you, Corinne. Thank you guys for what you're doing. I, I love being a part of this community. I really do. Well, we love you being a part of this community. So thank you. And, I, and we'd like to hear from our other NAMI ambassador now. Brad, how did you get involved in this book and why did you get involved in this book? Well, uh, I mean, first off, just to to comment on what Corinne was saying, I, I want to get my hands on that uh, uh, self-care list because that is something that I definitely need a little bit more in my life. It's um, on my Instagram. Go uh, check it out. I put it on there. Okay, great. <laughs> I will. I will. Because, you know, it, and this is part of my work, too. It's, it's breaking these kind of mental, you know, emotional barriers that have been kind of put upon me as a man in America with my upbringing. The idea of self-care for a guy doesn't feel as masculine, but it's like everybody needs it. Everyone needs that help. But back to uh, my involvement with NAMI, I, I was actually brought in uh, because I do a lot of on-camera hosting um, and and have done a lot of work around mental health, psychology, and kind of comedic essays around how they affect the inner lives of men. And so uh, my friend Kathy Sue Holtorf brought me in to host some videos for NAMI uh, on their YouTube page, and it was a series called Mental Health Mythbusters. And so we kind of Busted some myths around bipolar disorder, the history of of psychology and 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 mental health, and so uh, that was fun, and that was my foot in the door uh, to talking with Dr. Ken and being a part of the book, and and I'm so excited that it's getting out there. I'm excited that it's a bestseller, and and that I got to to comment about what my my real passion is, and and that is using myself as an example of a constantly evolving man trying to break through that kind of bro code that has been uh, conditioned in me. And, and a big part of that is it was finally going to therapy and, and, um, and speaking about it publicly. So I, I'm, I'm honored and grateful to be a part of NAMI so that hopefully I can help other people. Thank you, Brad. And we're honored and, and so grateful that you are with us and love what you're saying about uh, almost demystifying the field of mental health and demystifying this thing we call stigma. So thank you for lending your voice to that body of work. And you, you said the rock goes to therapy and who's more masculine than him? 
It's so true, and I'm so grateful for voices and examples from people like you and The Rock who are helping show that vulnerability and reaching out for help are signs of strength, not weakness. Uh, George, can you tell us about what inspired you to share your story? Yeah, I was thinking, uh, as everybody was talking here, our story goes back a little bit further. Uh, in 1994, when our son was initially diagnosed, was, was when we had the need for NAMI. And actually, one of the, and nothing, none of our programs that we rely on today existed. We didn't have family to family. We didn't have peer to peer. Uh, what we did have is a group of people in various communities around the country who all were struggling with the same issues. Either they themselves uh, had a mental health diagnosis or they had a family member that did. And, uh, and we found each other. You know, that's how NAMI was born, you know, back uh, 15 years before that. So with us, the, I think it started uh, with our son being diagnosed with schizophrenia. He had a rather, unfortunately, a rather typical course in the first 10 years, which he calls his last decade, involved substance use, resistance to treatment, multiple incarcerations, homelessness, missing in action, pretty much all the things that are that are checked off uh, by many folks that have these diagnoses. You know, it took us, our family, more than a year, actually, to find NAMI in a community of less than 200,000 people. You know? So that was the problem, you know. And I'm sad to say that that problem hasn't completely been solved today. And that's one of the reasons, and really the main reason I wanted to be involved in this book is because I think this is the best opportunity we've ever had to make in the next leap forward in awareness uh, among people that need us, but don't know that we exist. And, uh, and there are still plenty of those people out there. I, I review all the family to family and peer to peer post course um, evaluations. And every, every single time, there's at least two or three people that say, why are you guys so hard to find? Why didn't I know NAMI existed 10 years ago? So this is what I think the book can do. Uh, the way we got involved in it was purely the pandemic. Ken was, uh, we've been trying to get him to come out here and do a program in Santa Barbara, an education, our monthly education program. But with Zoom, it actually became a reality. So about a year ago, he was uh, was uh, giving a, a talk to our uh, little affiliate, you know, on Zoom and happened to mention that this book that he was working on. And so I, I decided right that that's something that we want to be involved in. And uh, fortunately, we contacted Ken and he said, sure, the more the merrier, you know, even though I think he had plenty of people already that were in line to, to participate. So that's kind of how we got involved. And the thing, message that I hope people will take away from our little contribution to this book is that we that, that are in the role of family members of somebody living with a, a mental health diagnosis, one of the hardest things for us to do is to acknowledge the fact that we can't, uh, we have no control over the situation that we can't do for our relative what they can only do for themselves. It's a very individual thing. I just loved how you guys talked about how you developed your own coping mechanisms, you know, uh, and how you. Uh, navigate forward. And it's true. Everybody has to do this on their own. So anyway, that that the message that uh, I got is that sometimes the best thing we can do is with family members is practice a little uh, lo tender, loving neglect, you know, and not try to be controlling everything. 
Yeah, George, you know, thank you for sharing that with us. And as a dad and a father myself, uh, your, 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 your story is so compelling, and thank you. And what's great is that we also got to hear from your son in the book. He said something that was incredibly profound. The idea of letting go is important because if somebody's drowning and you're in a boat and you jump in to try and save them, but you don't know how to swim, you can end up drowning each other. It can be so difficult, especially as a parent, to accept sometimes that you're limited and how much you can help someone you love. You just mentioned that, George. But sometimes letting go really is a part of the process for everyone's healing. As, as I read through the book, I was just so very struck by so many gold nuggets of wisdom. There's just so much power to break stigma through storytelling and willingness to share real and authentic firsthand experiences like this. I'm curious if any of you have any favorite parts of the book or if you had one key thing you wanted people to take away from the book. If they didn't remember anything else, what would it be? The whole idea that our community could share their wisdom, five publishers would bet on us. An amazing publisher, Molly Stern, would win the competition and that we would execute a book is so beautiful to me. First of all, it's a lifelong dream. I only wanted to write this book. I have learned so much from people in our community. How come that isn't common knowledge? And so it's just so moving and so beautiful. My favorite part of the book is 423 pages of NAMI wisdom and people with lived experience and national research experts. My favorite part of the book is every single inch of that book. And as you can imagine, you know, I invested a fair amount of life force in it for more than a year, and I've been working on it in my mind for 20 years. So I'm very grateful to you, Dan, also for the support, because you had to take a chance. Nami never had a book. Nami's 43 years old, and I'm no kid. So between the two of us, we had never had a book together. And so we're looking at over 100 years of being quiet. But to George's point, every bookstore, every library, there's absolutely no reason NAMI should be a secret. So I encourage people on this. This is our book. All the royalties come back to us. Go to your local library. I met Babu Mathieu and I'm on a book tour. Everywhere I go across America, I interview people from the book in that city. And I interviewed Babu in Denver, I think three days ago. It's hard to keep it all straight because I'm in continuous airplane motion. Babu said, I'm committed to getting this book into every library in the Denver area. Love this guy. Love him. Why don't we have this everywhere? And I just feel like this is our big chance. One of the Amazon reviews, which I do read, uh, said, why didn't I have this book nine years ago? That's it. That's all I need. Well, that's what we're going to do going forward is instead of having that person say, why didn't I know? We want them to say, so glad I did know. Mm. So that's what we're going to do. So I want to ask Corinne, Brad and George, is there anything as you're thinking about this, in addition to you lending your voice to the book and your and your lived experience in the book? Is there anything you'd like our audience to walk away from your voice in terms of either about the book or in regards to uh, lived experience and, and, and what they should uh really uh, glean from your lived experience? I think what's really stand out to me um, in, in being a part of this book is that it was written by someone with an incredible passion for it. Like Dr. Ken's love for the book, like he really 
poured himself into this. And I think for me, like it just made it all that more exciting to be a part of it. Of course, I will do anything for NAMI, but to be able to do it with Dr. Ken, who just really values people's stories and then also really understood how to blend that into the more medical side of things. Um, I think there's just a really great, it's, it's just going to be a really great resource for people. Thank you, Corinne. I agree with you. Uh, Brad, George, anything that you wanted to add? Yeah. I mean, the big takeaway for me is, is, is that focus on, on the title and the word alone, right? I think so often when we are having trouble, when we are having emotional instability, um, dysfunction, uh, depression, we don't feel that camaraderie. We don't feel community. And especially if you have never been exposed to the ideas of therapy or, or just general help for your for mental illness, alone seems like the only way to go. I think for a lot of men, it's fetishized. It's going, you're solo. You don't need anybody. You're alone, but that's good. You're a loner. That's a good thing. But, but no one, you know, humans are not meant to, sur- to live alone. We are not meant to survive alone. We are communal species. And so just, uh, I, I know Dr. Ken has said it many times, but like the title is the message and, and it's not, it's not even just like in the United States, like people around the world are constantly going through the same things as you. And it's so helpful to just know you're not alone. Other people have, have overcome these things are working on them are finding positive feedback and, and are progressing in the ways that, that, that you want to progress if you're, you know, listening to this. And so, it's just giving it a try, being open, being curious to finding out what could be helpful to you. And so you're not alone. We're here. There's, we, we got a doctor over here. He, he's telling you, you're not alone. And I, so that's what I love about this book. George, anything you wanted to add? Yeah, um, there's a bunch, bunch of things that I could say about the book. I, the two, a couple of things that stand out, though. It has such a balanced perspective of the person who's actually living with the diagnosis, the people that love them, their family members, and the mental health profession. Uh, and I have to say, almost every issue I think that families and individuals have had to deal with and will continue to have to deal with around mental illness is addressed in the book. The, the thing that I love about it most is, and I think the most valuable part is, I think this is going to become also a reference book because to me, one of the neatest things, I, I'm already seeing it in our affiliate. People are talking about, well, did you look at the look up some of the references in the back? The way that each chapter, you know, has that list of references. I mean, it's super and it's very comprehensive. So I love that part of it. I, I just one quick thing to add at the end. It's, it's kind of funny. I guess it came to mind when you were talking about the golden nuggets. You know, that, that's the other thing that I loved about the book is just the way individuals have of describing the issue of mental health and mental illness has, has meant to them. And it reminded me of the very first support group I went to. And Brad, like you, my wife dragged me kicking and screaming because guys were supposed to have all the answers at that point, you know. But anyway, we got into this support group and there's this guy that was older than dirty, older than I am now, which is really old. He came up to me and I must have looked like a deer in the headlights, you know. And he said, George, you look like you've got a problem. And I said, yeah, I do. I said, what is he? Said, I said, my skin, my son has schizophrenia. He said, look, you only need to remember four things. You didn't cause it. You can't cure it. You have no control over it, but you can learn how to cope with it. 
I mean, that's just an example. And it's a, that's an old NAMI adage. I don't know where it even emanated from. I've heard it for, you know, a thousand different times since then. But it, it so summarizes, I think, uh, what we all uh, have gone through. And so it's it's those those little pieces of of gold, I think, that that are going to make this book so helpful to so many people. George, those nuggets were just fantastic. And uh, uh, Brad and Corinne, the, the nuggets that you offered were outstanding. Um, and and I love those four elements that you just gave. And that last one is you can learn how to cope with it. That's also um, very powerful. And as we go to the next part, I do want to stop for a second and just say that Ken has given me quite a deal of uh, credit as the CEO for saying yes. And I want to make sure that our audience understands that I didn't say yes, uh, absolutely only as the CEO for NAMI. I said yes because I'm a parent, because I'm a father, I'm a husband, I am an uncle, and I know what this book can do for so many. And I want to read something to you all, if I might, for a second. And it goes to what each of you all have said, and this is in the introduction of the book. Uh, Mental illness and recovery are human experiences. So I consider experience-based evidence an authoritative source for this book. Individuals who have lived with mental health conditions are a source of untapped wisdom on how to build a life and thrive while living with mental health conditions. My goal is to synthesize this anecdotal evidence with traditional research-based evidence to provide practical, compassionate advice and to offer the comfort that comes from knowing that wherever you are in your recovery journey, you are not alone. Now, this is an introduction from Dr. Ken, and this is from Dr. Ken Duckworth, and it goes to what was just said about not being alone and navigating this. So the world can be a difficult place, and sometimes it can be hard to hold on to hope. That's why each week we dedicate the last couple of minutes of our podcast to a segment called Hold On to Hope. For me, this book is a source of great hope because it's another resource for people to get access to support, to learn about NAMI, and to know they are not alone. I'm so glad to have been able to spend this episode amplifying this new resource, and I'm so proud that each of your voices is featured in this new book. This book is about hope, and this podcast is about hope, and we really do believe that it starts with us. So I want to spend our last couple of moments inviting each of you to share what helps you hold on to hope. When you feel alone, when you feel like giving up, when everything feels so hopeless, what do you do? Yeah, you know, I mean, it it just goes to the whole ethos of the book is when I'm feeling hopeless or when I feel like giving up, I really turn to my community and I turn to my loved ones and I turn to my friends. And obviously being a NAMI ambassador, I am not shy about talking about what I'm going through. And, um, and so I feel like communication and connection is, is what brings me hope because, a lot of the times when I share how I'm feeling, people who love me have amazing advice or hold space and just listen. And again, it goes to the whole, you're not alone. You know, when you feel a connection to someone in any way, I feel like that kind of gives you the motivation to keep going. For me, in moments of, of hopelessness or, or a dark night of the soul, I, I look at moments of growth in my past or my friend's past or, or family and and I, it really brings me back to the idea, the truth that that you do get what you give. Mental health is not something that's just going to come to you. You are not just going to snap your fingers and, and fix it. And no one person is going to fix all of your all of your problems. But but if you are willing to give 
it is so worth it if you're willing to give the time a little bit of a little bit of work of being open pushing through kind of uh, um, moments that are difficult those are growth moments and you never regret growth personal growth and but but it takes the work but you know so so it's kind of one of those things where it's like well i'm i'm here uh, and this is the, the issue that's facing me. And so I might as well forge ahead because every time I do, um, I do come out the other side better for it, even in a minuscule way. And so, so it really is that kind of that truth of, of if you put some work in, uh, you will not regret it. And I think that goes for, for all the work that uh, people do individually and, and at NAMI. Thank you, Brett. Thank you very much. George? For me, I get inspiration from just backing up a little bit and looking at the larger picture when I'm really down. Uh, and what I look at is what the course of Patrick's life has been over the last uh, 26 years. Uh, he's had some terrible times, you know. He somehow managed to get clean and, and sober. He somehow managed to come to accept treatment for his disorder, which he didn't for the first 10 or so years. And that allowed him to fulfill his life in ways that I would have never dreamed for him to uh, fall in love, get married, have a family, um, complete his education, have a meaningful work. He's now working as a peer specialist in a first episode psychosis uh, program, you know, as a peer. And so I can't let myself be down or him be down by the up and down nature of these disorders, which is going to be there forever, you know, probably for, for all of us. We have to, to back up and look and see how we've come through that before, much the way that, that Brad mentioned earlier. So that's kind of how we do it. <laughs> uh, George, that, that, that's, that's so profound. And it goes right back to what Brad said in terms of you get what you give. And with Patrick, uh, uh, you know, in terms of hope and working as a peer specialist, you, you get what you give and what he's giving is so, so incredible. And there, you know, if we'd probably asked you 20, 20 years ago about this hope and where Patrick is now, your, your answer may have been different than what it is now, George. So, you know, thank you. And uh, there is hope. And Corinne, what you shared about communications, connection, and then that other C word community. Um, thank you for that as well. And I want to thank each of you so much for sharing your stories today. Corinne Fox, Brad Gage, and George Kaufman. Before we go, I'd like to let everyone know that three days after this podcast airs, NAMI Walks will celebrate its Fall United Day of Hope on Saturday, October 8th, with walks taking place in dozens of communities nationwide that help raise millions of dollars for NAMI's mission to help people with mental illness and their loved ones. To learn more, you can visit namiwalks.org. This has been Hope Starts With Us, a podcast by NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. If you're looking for mental health resources, you are not alone. To connect with the NAMI helpline and find local resources, visit nami.org forward slash help. Text helpline to 62640 or dial 800-950-6264. Or if you're experiencing an immediate suicide, substance use, or mental health crisis, please call or text 988 to speak with a trained support specialist. Or visit 988lifeline.org. To order NAMI's new book, You Are Not Alone, The NAMI Guide to Navigating Mental Health, you can visit nami.org forward slash not alone book. 
I'm Dan Gillison, the CEO of NAMI. Thanks for joining us and be well.